Welcome to Day of Destiny with Dr. Michelle Corral, author, prophetic teacher, and pastor of Breath of the Spirit Prophetic Word Center. Dr. Corral can be seen weekly, nationwide, and around the world on her weekly telecasts that air on God TV, Impact, and Word Network. Now, let's join Dr. Corral by experiencing Day of Destiny, designed with your highest destiny in mind. Now, here is Dr. Corral. I want to ask you a question. What is the difference between saving someone in a burning house and risking your life to go in and save that person or falling out of an airplane in a skydiving event? Wouldn't we actually call both of those acts acts of bravery? Well, beloved saints, in the biblical equation of courage and bravery. I want you to know falling out of a skydiving plane just for the sake of being daring is actually not the biblical meaning of courage. Today, I want to show you what biblical courage is all about and how women from Galilee were filled with courage and stood at the foot of the cross with the master that they loved as we enter into this season where we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, I have a very special program for you, and that is a program on many women you may know nothing about except heard their names. That is the women of the resurrection, the women disciples of Jesus, women of valor, women of courage, women of bravery, and true disciples of our Lord that were willing to lay their lives down unto the death for the one that they loved. But before we look at that, I want to invite you to our website. Our website specifically for our podcast is mydayofdestiny.com. You can go to mydayofdestiny.com and see our other podcasts, download them for your library, grow in the things of God, grow in the supernatural and understanding the realm of the spirit. And also those of you that are really serious about your destiny. We have in many of our podcasts in the past, principles of power that will help you develop your life to walk in the pathway of power that will lead you to your destiny. And also, beloved, I want to take this moment to invite you to at when you arrive at our podcast website, which is mydayofdestiny.com, you can have an opportunity to order my latest book, Secrets of the Anointing. You know this book is so precious to me because it gives you some of my personal experiences like smuggling Bibles into China. Also, um, many of my missionary trips that I've taken around the world since the 1970s and many different oh, adventures in missions that many of you may not be familiar with. And also, scripture upon scripture on how to walk in the anointing, 
how to give your life to the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can use you in the supernatural in a more excellent way. Also, I want to share with you my experience of being influenced by the life of Catherine Coleman and Corey Tin Boom and so many others. So don't miss this book, Secrets of the Anointing. Get your personal copy today. And now, beloved saints, we are going to open our Bibles and we are going to look at the gospel according to Mark. So let's get started. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 15, as we look at the word of God in Mark 15, verse 40 and verse 41, the Bible says there were also women looking on from afar from among whom was Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the, uh, James the less, and of Joseph and of Salome, who, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him. And many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. Now, Let's look at this verse of scripture. Let me give you a biblical background, an, an understanding more than just seeing a scene of these women at the foot of the cross at a distance weeping for Jesus, of course. But there's so much more that's packed inside of these texts that I want to unpack for you right now. First of all, I want us to see that whenever we read in the scripture about the women disciples of Jesus, and it is normative that the women disciples of Jesus, when they're being named, Mary Magdalene goes first. The only record that we have in the New Testament where Mary Magdalene is mentioned along with the other women disciples of Jesus, where she's not first, is when the text teaches us that at the foot of the cross in John 19, let's look at this. I want you to see it. John 19, looking at verse, um, looking, beloved saints, at verse 25, the Bible says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his, uh, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. My goodness, this name Mary was quite popular in the first century among the Jewish population because translated from Greek into Hebrew, this would be the name Miriam. Miriam the prophetess, who was a very revered woman of God to the Jewish people, being the sister of Moses, known for her courage, for her bravery, known for her unbelievable courage in the face of the king, did not even care that the king had said, you, um, everyone is ordered by law to when they see an Hebrew child that is born, and if it is a man child, the law is you were to put that child in the river and drown it. But you know, Miriam was so brave. She was so bold. She was so courageous that she actually followed her little brother Moses in the basket down the river and saw that the basket came by divine providence right into the palace of Pharaoh. And lo and behold, 
who comes out to look in the basket? It is Pharaoh's daughter, the very daughter of the one who had ordered law in my empire. All Hebrew males are to be killed. They are to be thrown into the river. It is not an option. It is a law of Pharaoh. Genocide will be practiced. These babies are to be thrown, and it is the law of every Egyptian to do so. But Miriam, in her boldness, did not fear the king at all. She only feared the king of heaven. At a young age, she's unbelievably bold so that she comes up to the Pharaoh's daughter and says, she can see she's not stupid. She has nevuah. She has an insight, a supernatural insight to be able to discern that the daughter of Pharaoh is mesmerized by little Moses. She already immediately has an attachment to this child she's found. She feels that God, that not our God, but that something has brought Moses into her midst and that she should keep Moses. She feels an attachment to Moses. And Miriam, who has nevuah, which is prophecy, Miriam, who is spiritually sensitive, but most of all, Miriam, who is so bold that she's going to say to the daughter of Pharaoh, would you like me to bring one of the Hebrew women to nurse the child? And the, the daughter of Pharaoh said, yes, bring me a Hebrew woman. Take this money and tell this woman that I will pay her her wages. Now, beloved saints, I want you to understand. Miriam is literally saying, would you like me to do something that your father has defied, an order, a law that your father who is the emperor, your father who is the king of Egypt, he is the Pharaoh and he ordered the death of all Hebrew children. Would you mind, would you like me to find, help you in your little endeavor of keeping a Hebrew child, which is totally against the law. Would you like me to find a Hebrew woman to help you nurse the child? Can you imagine that kind of boldness? Beloved saints, these women at the foot of the cross were all named Mary. We have notice how they are mentioned here. It says, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Then the Bible says, the sister of Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. We see this order of disciples. And here we see this is the only time that Mary Magdalene is not mentioned first. And the question arises, why? It is because the scripture is giving deference to Mary, who is the mother of Jesus, and her sister prior to Mary Magdalene. But the normative use of referring to the disciples of Jesus who were women always, wherever we look in the scripture, Mary Magdalene is mentioned first. Now the question arises, why? This is because the scripture is showing us is that Mary was the leader. Mary Magdalene was the leader of the women Talmudine of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, did Jesus have women disciples? 
And the answer to that is why don't we look into the scripture? It's not conjecture. It's not something we're just interpreting from some objective standpoint. The Bible tells us that these were women who followed Jesus everywhere he went. These were women disciples of Jesus who followed him from the Galilee all the way to Jerusalem, and they weren't about to abandon their Lord at the foot of the cross. Let's look and see these women. The Bible says, going back to Mark's gospel, in the 15th chapter, looking at the 40th verse, there were also women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James the Less, and Joseph and Salome, who when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him. And many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. What does it mean these women ministered unto him? It meant that Jesus had a company of women, just what the scripture says. We're not adding to the scripture. We're not suggesting. We are saying, we are quoting the Bible verbatim. Jesus had a company of women who were women Talmudim. Now, you may say, wait a minute, Dr. Corral. These women didn't learn Torah. These women couldn't have possibly learned the word of God. They had to just do servants' jobs. Well, I've got a word for you. The Bible tells us they sat and they learned his word. He raised them up to the level of being a Talmud, of being a disciple, women disciples. Let's look at the scripture to verify that. Going, beloved saints, to the gospel according to Luke. We love Luke because Luke is going to tell us so much about these women. And in particular, we have one special woman that Luke tells us a lot about besides Mary of Bethany, besides Mary Magdalene. And that is Mary of Bethany. Notice there's all these Marys. We can count about five of them. And here we see in Luke chapter 10, I want you to see it, in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, the Bible says, and, when it, and now it came to pass that as they went, that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister named Mary, which also sat at the feet of Jesus and heard his word. Now, you may say she was just listening to a Bible study. Does that actually mean she's a Talmud? Does that actually mean she's a disciple? A lot of people sat at Jesus' feet to hear his word. The answer to that is no. It does not just mean she's at random, a person sitting at his feet. You see, one of the most ancient but revered Hebrew documents is called Perki Avot. And Perki Avot literally means the chapters of the fathers. It is a list, a comprehensive listing of sages and of sayings, Hebrew sayings, that actually form the cu culture of Torah study, not only in the first century, but prior to the first century, and all the way down throughout the ages. 
And we see that one of the wonderful sayings in Perkia Vote is, let, the Bible says, let your house be a house where your rabbi will visit. And the Bible says to be so close, or this saying actually says, to be so close to your rabbi that you follow near his feet and that you're covered in the dust of your rabbi. To sit at the rabbi's feet meant that you were his disciple. Because sitting at his feet meant that you learned from him. So here we see Martha becoming very upset that her sister is proclaiming herself to be a woman disciple and to actually consider being at the feet of Jesus more important than serving the banquet. And she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me here alone to serve? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are so careful and troubled about so many things, but your sister Mary has chosen the better part that will not be taken away from her. So here we see Mary of Bethany, known to be a woman disciple of Jesus, and we see her at his feet over and over again. Every time the scripture shows us Mary of Bethany, we see her at his feet except at the time of the raising of Lazarus. At the raising of Lazarus, we do see her worshiping the Lord, but we see her rejoicing because her brother is risen from the dead. Now, beloved saints, it is so important to understand these women disciples of Jesus. And let us just look at their bravery. First of all, they have just experienced the most dramatic dark day of their life. They have no idea that Jesus is going to be risen from the dead. I want you to know that oftentimes the darkest day of our life is a day of destiny. And here we see that these women are so committed to Christ that even after they watch him die on the cross, and remember, none of the Talmudim of our Lord, though he said it over and over again, the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinners and rejected by the elders and be put to death, and on the third day he will rise again. The Bible tells us that their eyes were hid from this saying, so that they heard Jesus speaking about the resurrection, but they had no idea what it meant. So as far as these women disciples of Jesus was concerned, who were brave enough to stand at the foot of the cross when the brothers abandoned Jesus completely, we see that these women, even after the death of our Lord, are not going to stop their ministry. Notice their ministry through the scripture that is given to us, was one of ministering to the Lord, taking care of his needs, taking care of the needs of the disciples. So these women disciples of Jesus that was headed by Mary Magdalene, we can easily see that they were involved in taking care of the disciples, taking care of Jesus, making sure their meals were prepared, making sure everything was perfect for the Lord, for him to go forward into his ministry. Un 
uninterrupted and they followed him from place to place. And no, they didn't just quote unquote, keep their place. They actually were raised to the position of disciple and given the dignity of hearing his word and sitting at his feet and being accounted as true Talmudim. Now, this is Jesus giving honor to his women disciples. Now, I want you to see that these women were women of valor. They were women of courage. They were women filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were women that could not be defeated. I want you to see they weren't some milk toast, mamby-pamby women. And to be fully embracing their femininity, to be fully embracing the fact that they're not, no, they're not the men disciples, they're the women disciples, but they have a specific role. And they're not intimidated. I want you to understand their role is very important. Their role, dear people of God, is a role that Jesus has raised to a place of very, very high and great dignity. They are to learn Torah just like the brothers, which in many Hebrew circles in the first century was not allowed. But we see that Jesus gave his women Talmudim the opportunity to hear his word. Now, and to learn and to be actually be called disciples. Now, beloved saints, I want you to see, they ministered to him with their substance. They took care of him. They made sure everything was good and everything was a conducive for our Lord's ministry to continue. But I want you to also see that the Bible also shows us, beloved saints, that in the first century, one of the greatest, greatest merits of a woman, historically, now I'm speaking of a historic, cultural, Jewish sense of scripture. In the very first century, uh, in a cultural context, one of the most notorious acts that a woman could do would be to sponsor Torah learning. And we can see that when the Bible says these women ministered to Jesus with their substance, they not only ministered to Jesus in the sense they washed his feet, in the sense that they took care of the meals, in the sense that they made sure everything was perfect for the disciples to be able to learn for Jesus to go forward in his mission. But also, I want you to see a very important task here that the Bible is showing us. Um, and that is that Mary Magdalene took of her substance and supported the effort of Torah learning. She actually sponsored the fact that who's gonna take care of this great company? Who's gonna take care of these 12 men? Who is going to take care of their families? They're gone. Peter had a wife and James and John had a father's fishing business. And we do know that Zebedee, the Bible tells us, Zebedee hired hired servants in their place, in their stead. But we have 12 that represent being married, having families, um, and the tremendous responsibility of also keeping up with all that needed to be managed in order for Yeshua to travel from place to place as an inerrant rabbi uh, that would go from place to place throughout all cities and villages, teaching and preaching the kingdom of heaven. Who's going to sponsor this? 
We know, beloved saints, that most definitely the people gave unto Jesus because we have evidence of that. We have the evidence of Joseph of Arimathea giving Jesus his grave. We have evidence of Nicodemus being a disciple and purchasing 100 pounds of myrrh to bury Jesus, which in our comprehension, one ounce of myrrh today would be the equivalent liquid myrrh of about $1,500. He bought 100 pounds of myrrh to cover the body of Jesus. The Bible tells us in John chapter 19, verse 38. So we see um, Nicodemus, we see Joseph of Arimathea, we see Zebedee, we also see Zacchaeus, who was a contributor to the work of God. And we see so many others that came, but we see these women disciples of Jesus that through their substance, through their earnings, or through their businesses, or through their inheritance, they used that substance to sponsor the work of Jesus so that everything would work together for the glory of God, so that these brethren could study, that they could go forth, that they could be sent forth to preach. And I want you to know that there is a supernatural secret here that I'm getting at. I want you to see something about Mary Magdalene. Now, first of all, let's just for a moment look at Mary Magdalene in her scriptural setting. I want us to just dump out of our mind what we've heard about Mary Magdalene, and let's stay faithful to the scripture. Let's not just go by hearsay or by what someone believed. Let's go by what the Bible says. And what does the Bible tell us about Mary Magdalene? And what can we assess from the historical documentation, the way Mary Magdalene is presented in scripture? How can we compare that against the backdrop of evidence and records of the first century Jewish woman? How can we properly assess, come to a logical scriptural conclusion that is not conjecture, but something that is actually factual? How can we come to the conclusion of this without going off on some what somebody said, what somebody believes, just because it's been around and it's tradition, does it necessarily mean that it's true? What is truth and what is fact is actually what is written. So let's look at the Bible. The Bible always mentions Mary Magdalene first, and I want you to put your antlers up, and I want you to notice details, because details mean correct biblical interpretation. I want you to see the way Mary Magdalene is, in, is presented. She is presented as Mary Magdalene. And I want you to see the way the other Mary at the foot of the cross is presented. The Bible is showing us here, the other Mary is known as Mary, the mother of James the less and Joseph and Salome. Notice, one is known by her city and the other is introduced by her family. Now, in all Jewish records in the first century, we see that the modest way of being presented to the public and within kosher law, that a woman of humble means would always be introduced 
as a mother and their children would be mentioned with their name, that their identity would be associated with their family members. This is why we have Mary, the mother of James, and Joseph and Salome. This sounds, it's not just because the Bible wants us to know who, who her children were. It is a way that in the first century, women were introduced who were of um, very uh, devout character and were of a more humble status in society. We have this repeated throughout the Bible in the New Testament when there is, especially in the first century, audits Israel in the place of the land of Israel or in the territories that are the land of Israel in the first century. This would be the appropriate way to introduce a woman. But when a woman was introduced solely by her city, this is very rare. And why is it rare? It is rare because it would mean the woman owned real estate holdings in that city that is mentioned with her name. It would mean financially, socially, economically, and every other ladder of echelons that she would be recognized as nobility. Someone who owned property, someone who most likely owned most of the territories of Magdala. And so if we assess this, then we're going to see if we weigh it from the backdrop of the unknown woman in Luke chapter 8, who is known as a sinful woman. But yet, she doesn't have a name we might be able to see through the lens of reality in scripture that perhaps the sinful woman of Luke chapter 8 may not necessarily be this woman who is an owner of property, who is an owner of the fishing village Magdala. Now I want you to know, it doesn't, don't get this confused with somebody making this huge amount of money from this type of, of lifestyle that Mary Magdalene is associated with. If you were a person associated with the classical conventional uh, title of where we associate Mary Magdalene, you would be a pauper. You would not be affluent. And you certainly would not have the name of your city attached to your name. Look at the public records. Go into one of the Roman recorders of women in those days and look and see the evidence of how rare it is for a woman's name to be attached to her city unless she was renowned nobility. Now, I want you to also know that to, know that to own property in the Galilee, first of all, culturally in the land of Galilee, this land was basically um, owned, most of the property in Galilee was basically owned by huge property owners. And for example, Herod owned the entire city. Uh, we have record that 
Herod owned the entire parcel of real estate that is known today as Tiberias. He built Tiberias for Caesar. He owned that property. It was not property of the Roman Empire. It was personal real estate that Herod owned, not Herod the Great, but Herod, the son of Herod the Great, who took his place in the Galilee region. So we have from the biblical records, uh, and we also have uh, from historical records in the first century that most persons of nobility obtained that position of nobility from either businesses or from owning real estate. So that means that paupers who did not own real estate were servants of those who owned the real estate and did not really own their property unless it was a small portion of property. Um, and uh, the land, of course, that was originally given when the children of Israel conquered had already been taken by in the northern kingdom by the Assyrians when they came in and then the Jews relocated back. So we need to understand that there are issues here um, concerning um, the real estate holdings that we must pay attention to concerning Mary Magdalene. All right. Now, why is she always mentioned first? We see that she's always mentioned first because she held a prominent position with the Lord, not because of her money, not because of who she was in the past, but because she was a sold out woman of God who sold everything she owned in order to take care of the kingdom of God. To Mary Magdalene, she was not like the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler, when Jesus said, if you will be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor and then come and follow me. We see this, this unbelievable, noble woman, Mary Magdalene, as one who sold everything in order to support the master that she adored, worshipped, and loved. Now, beloved people, I want you to see that at the, after the crucifixion, let us look and see what the Bible is telling us. In verse 47, first of all, we're going to see immediately after the crucifixion, Joseph of Arimathea is going to use true courage, is going to go to Pilate and beg the body of Jesus. This means he's going to pay Pilate off, which was common um, these were common types of business dealings in the first century. And in order not to risk Jesus being hung on the cross and taking his holy body down from that cross, he's willing to do anything. So he pays a hefty price to Pilate, gets the body of Jesus. And he, in order to take care of the body of Jesus properly, he rushes to the Joppa gate and purchases um, herring, uh, herringbone uh, fish herringbone fish linen cloth, which was a Passover tablecloth and also Passover napkins. That was a long uh, tablecloth that was used in traditional 
Passover meals to wrap the body of Jesus because there was no time to find anything. There was no time. They were at a very quick limit. So he purchases this cloth. He wraps the body of Jesus in it and quickly, hurriedly takes it to his own tomb. Now watch what happens because the women disciple of Jesus want to know where is he going to be buried? So they follow Joseph of Arimathea. And while Joseph of Arimathea is purchasing the linen cloth, these women part from him and they quickly purchase the spices. And the question arises, why? Because even though Jesus is dead and even though we know that Pilate ordered a stone to be put in front of the tomb of Jesus and ordered it Roman law, no one can come near this tomb. No one can go into this tomb. This tomb is sealed off. There are Roman guards preventing anyone from going near these this tomb. These women are so determined that these women say, we have to take care of our Lord. That's our ministry. It doesn't matter what man says. It doesn't matter what is going on here. It doesn't matter if we're risking our life. It doesn't matter what is going to be said about us or what is going to happen to our reputation, what kind of, of um, how we could be perceived. We are going to buy these spices before this Shabbat. And we are going to, the moment the Shabbat is over, mix these spices, go early in the morning, and anoint our Lord and take care of him. Our ministry cannot end here at the foot of the cross. Now, I want you to know, most persons would have said, I've had a big, heavy day. I watched my Lord be crucified. There's no way. It's over. My ministry is over. Why should I even continue? There's no more hope, but not these women. Notice what the women of the resurrection did. The Bible shows us and Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, beheld where he was laid. And the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 16, and when Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. Now, beloved saints, I want you to see, this is Mark's version, but Luke gives us an even more detailed version that is so important. Notice Luke isn't going to tell us who these women are until the very end. Notice the way Luke is going to build the momentum. Luke is going to use the word they, and he's going to continue to use the word they. He's not going to tell us who they are until the very end. He's going to name who they are. These are women who are getting up early in the morning. What woman is going to be seen on the street before the sun comes up? This is not an appropriate place for a woman. Secondly, what are these women doing at an off-limits location? What are they doing in an illegal place to be when it is sealed off by the Roman Empire and sealed by the governor, by Pontius Pilate, giving an order, no one can come near this tomb. What are these women doing? They're bringing spices and they intend to roll the stone away. They intend that nothing is going to stop them from serving God. Where did they get this power? Where did they get this love? Where did they get this determination? You see, beloved, they loved him above all things and they were willing to give everything up for the one they loved. Nothing could hold them back from doing the will of God. 
notice what the Bible says. If we look at Luke 23 and look at verses 55 and verse 56, the Bible says, and the women also, which came with him from Galilee, followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. What are they saying? They're looking, they're seeing, oh, wow, I got to figure out. How can I get back into this tomb? Where's an opening? Is there any way we can get in? There seems to be no way. Oh, this thing is sealed up shut. But they're looking before the tomb was actually sealed. Where is it going to be? How far out is it? What is the direction? How can I get there quickly in the morning? Because I'm going to rise the moment this, before the sun gets up as soon as this Shabbat is over. When it's legal for me to go out of my house, I am going to go to the tomb and we are going to anoint Jesus. Hallelujah. And here we see, and they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Notice they prepared ointments and spices. Where else do we see this word? Ointments and spices. Do we not see ointments and spices in Exodus chapter 30? Do we not see that Moses is commanded the anointing oil? Does it not say, take unto thee principal spices, 500 shekels of myrrh and uh, sweet cinnamon, 250 shekels, and of sweet calamus, 250 shekels, and of cassia, 500 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary, and you shall make it after the art of the apothecary, a holy anointing oil unto me throughout your generations. Isn't this a familiar text? So we're wondering, where did these women get their power? Where did these women get their zeal? Where did these women get their boldness? Where did these women get the strength to be able to withstand the testing of the cross? These women got their power from the anointing. And how did they get the anointing? From being near the anointed one. When they ministered to the anointed one, when they are near the one who is anointed, they themselves became anointed because there is a contagious component in the anointing. And if you're near Jesus, you're going to become anointed like Jesus. This is how he was able to send his Talmudim forth two by two. Now, beloved saints, let's look at the text. And the Bible says, now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the sepulcher. Notice they came to the sepulcher, but who are they? They came to the sepulcher very early in the morning. And the Bible says, bringing spices, which they had prepared and certain women with them, certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of Jesus. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, two men stood in shining garments. And as they were afraid, they bowed their faces to the earth. And they said unto them, why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And remember how he spoke unto you that he would go before you. When, when he was yet in Galilee. And the scripture goes on to say, verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women that were with him 
that told these things unto the apostles. Now, beloved saints, who was Joanna? You may ask the question, we heard about all these Marys, but who is Joanna? Well, beloved saints, we will tell you who Joanna was. Joanna was one of the most prominent women in all of Galilee. She had such a lucrative position through her husband that she could have been considered on the same social status as Mary Magdalene, only for her because her wealth came from her husband and not from her. Her husband's name is going to be mentioned in the gospel. Look at the name. The Bible says in Luke chapter 8, verse 2, and certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Notice Mary Magdalene had the devils cast out of her from evil spirits and infirmities. Notice it says healed of evil spirits and infirmities, meaning her sicknesses were demonically induced. All right, so she is healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils. Now watch this. And Joanna, the wife of Husa, Herod Stewart, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him with their substance. This Joanna is a bold woman. Do you realize that her husband is Herod Stewart? This means he is in charge of all the wealth of Herod, the king of Galilee. Do you realize that he is the steward distributing all of his wealth, making all of his purchases, representing him, signing his name, giving his seal? He is the one who carried the seal of Herod in his possession. He is the one who organized all of Herod's staff. Do you realize he's the most important man to King Herod outside of those that were in his armies? Do you realize this is Joanna? What, tell me, what in the world is she doing at the tomb? What is she doing at five o'clock in the morning or before in a place that the Roman Empire has forbidden for anyone to go near because they sealed it off with a stone? This woman is so in love with Jesus that she cannot be held back because you know why. Jesus wants to reveal a miracle to his women Talmudim. And Mary Magdalene is a symbol of what that miracle is. If we go to John's gospel, this precious, precious revelation in John chapter 20, Mary goes into the tomb and she sees one to whom she supposes to be the gardener. And she says, Sir, if you have borne him hence, tell me, where have you laid him? And I will go and bear him hence. In other words, I'll go get him. Just tell me where he is. Did you take his body? Notice the Bible says in John chapter 20, she supposed him to be the gardener. Why is that so secret? What does it mean when the Bible says that Mary supposed him to be the gardener? Because John wants us to see the tomb as a garden. 
John wants us to see the second Adam in a place much like the first Adam. John wants us to see the power of the breaking of the Adamic curse. And if you notice before the fall, Eve was not called Eve until the fall of Adam. Look at the scripture. I'm going to show this to you from Genesis chapter 3, and then we're going to pray. Notice the name of Eve. And notice when Eve was named by Adam. The Bible tells us, beloved saints, it says here in Genesis chapter 3, the Bible tells us, beloved saints, in the Adamic curse, thorns and thistles will it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face will you eat your bread until you return to the ground from whence you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you shall return. This is the Adamic curse. This is God speaking to Adam, giving him the Adamic curse. Now watch this in verse 20. It is not till after the Adamic curse has been pronounced that her name is called Eve. Notice, and Adam called his wife, verse 20, Adam called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. You say, okay, Dr. Corral, so Adam names Eve after the fall. What is the big deal? The big deal is, it's not a little deal, it's a big deal. And what is the big deal? The big deal is, is that woman, Eve, was called woman before the fall. What does that mean? That means before the status of fallen man, woman was not called Eve. She was called woman. And what does Jesus say? in the garden, in the garden, to Mary Magdalene. He said, woman, why are you weeping? What does that mean? That means that Jesus, through his resurrection, broke the Adamic curse, not only off the men, but he broke the Adamic curse also off the women. The women returned back to the original status before the fall. This means that Eve, who formerly was called the woman in the garden, John shows us Mary thought he was the gardener because this was a garden. And you and I must see that the scripture is showing us, beloved saints, that Jesus redeemed back the woman to her original place. And what place was that? A place of being used of God. A place of being a helper. One who is going to labor alongside equally with Adam. Beloved saints, I want you to know that as we enter into this season, the season of the resurrection, I believe curses, I believe strongholds, I believe principalities, I believe powers are being broken off of you. And even now there are generational curses and divine reversals 
that God is bringing into your life today as you hear this word and women that are being called forth into the ministry, called forth into their highest prophetic purpose, called forth to love Jesus, the way the women disciples of Jesus risked their lives and loved Jesus, that gave up everything, even Joanna, who was so bold as to be one of the first people at the tomb, not caring that she lost her reputation or lost anything, just wanted to be there for her Lord and continue her ministry of ministering to him with her substance. God bless you, saints. Receive the anointing. And for those of you today who want to minister unto the Lord with your substance, today you can be an effective disciple by ministering to the Lord with the first fruits of your increase. By sowing seed today into the kingdom of God, I invite you today, sow a seed and plant it for our orphans in Africa, for Uganda, for the village in Uganda, for the chickens that we're purchasing, for the livestock we're purchasing, for the life of the elderlies that we're taking care of in both the Philippines and in Uganda, Masaka, Uganda. And also the milk we're purchasing, the groceries we're purchasing in Uganda and the orphans that we're helping. Also, in the land of India, so many works going forth, educating children, 40 orphans that we take care of. And also, the disciples under Pastor Silas in India that are going forward in many different villages under our newest project, Operation Hunger, that God is bringing rice and groceries to villages of of new believers that were formerly Hindus. Jesus is taking care of them. And in Pakistan and in so many other places throughout the earth, you can be a partner. You can do that by sowing your seed today. Go to our website, breathofthespirit.org. That's breathofthespirit.org. Go on our donate uh, button and you will be able to sow your seed through PayPal today. Or if you prefer to text to give, you can text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, and text it to this number, 77977. That's 77977. That is our push pay platform. Thank you for joining us, and our announcer is going to tell you how you can become a HESED partner with us. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us today on Day of Destiny. We invite you to our website at mydayofdestiny.com where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of Dr. Corral's latest book, Secrets of the Anointing. Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, and many other services to the suffering church and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the donate button or text to give. Text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D to 7797. That's HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D to 7797. You are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast.